To be a mother of five children, it's really hard. But I tell them to be thankful with God that we have to be, uh, yes, to be uh, thankful for, for all the things He provides us, like food. Welcome to another episode of On the Ground with Samaritan's Purse, a podcast taking you to the front lines and behind the scenes of our work around the world. I'm your host, Christy Graham, and today I'm excited to highlight our work in Colombia. Venezuelans have been suffering from a man-made crisis, and they're fleeing just to survive. And Colombia has welcomed over 2 million Venezuelans. But COVID-19 has made it difficult for people to find consistent work, and many people are hungry. Samaritan's Purse established a country office in 2018 in response to one of the largest migration crises in Latin American history. Like many people in the world, our work has been shifted due to COVID-19, but it hasn't stopped and it's keeping our teams busy and stretched. And families are still searching for a better way of life and they need food and basic supplies just to survive. I was able to talk with Eric Huxley, the country director for Columbia, to hear his perspective. So the, the context uh, along the border between Colombia and Venezuela is it, you have to understand a lot of the history of Venezuela over the past 20 or so years. Um, Venezuela uh, is suffering from a man-made crisis right now uh, that's causing millions to flee the country. Um, Venezuela, a lot of folks, when they hear Venezuela, they always talk about how Venezuela has the largest oil reserves around the world. And that's true. Uh, Venezuela sits on massive amounts of, of oil reserves. Um, but that's also kind of been uh, their curse as well, because they've always, their economy has always been tied to the oil economy. It's, been, it, it's fluctuated with oil prices, and it's, it's always been, been a bit volatile. Uh, at some points uh, throughout the 20th century, becoming the richest country in the region, uh, at some points becoming one of the most unequal countries in the region. There was rampant corruption uh, and theft by the government, uh, and ultimately it led to economic, an economic collapse. So in 2015, we started seeing the first waves of migrants leaving Venezuela, kind of those folks that maybe had means, they had uh, resources uh, to fly out of the country and, and set up shop and start a new life in another, another country. So they began pulling their resources out of the country Uh, and that's also kind of when we start seeing uh, hyperinflation increase uh, in Venezuela. Uh, and so what ultimately happens in a, in, a, in a situation like that is the cost of goods skyrockets, but salaries and wages aren't able to keep up with that. And so what you end up happening, what, what ends up happening is, is a monthly salary becomes not even enough to buy a loaf of bread. So if you're a family and your, your wages aren't even enough to put food on the table, um, you're forced with a difficult decision. Do you stay and hope things get better or do you sit out and try to uh, make a new life somewhere else? The situation is very rough in Venezuela. I didn't feel comfortable there with my children and my wife. I really wanted to look for the way to, to find something different, some comfort, uh, comfortability for my family. My choice, my decision was to come to Colombia. Thank God. We've been good here with the help of the Colombians. I'm really thankful to them. Um, today, over 5 million Venezuelans have left Venezuela, the majority coming to Colombia. And a lot of folks today that are fleeing into Colombia, that are walking into Colombia, are literally leaving to be able to feed themselves and their families. They, don't, they simply can't make enough money to be able to buy 
uh, like I said, a loaf of bread or a carton of eggs or, or enough food to feed themselves and their families. So Venezuela is just in a really, really, really bad spot. And it's, it's all man-made. And so a lot of folks to flee that situation are literally walking out of the country and walking in some cases, thousands of miles to get uh, somewhere where they can start a new life. Thank you for explaining that. Um, I know it's been heartbreaking to listen to so many of the migrants, you know, that that still have family back in Venezuela. They long to go back. They miss their country. They miss their homeland, and uh, but they're torn. They they can't go back. So here they are fleeing, like you said, on foot. I can't even imagine. So is the country office right on the border? Um, and then I know, can you talk to me a little bit about the the shelters that you all have and the way that you're able to help these migrants that are fleeing? Yeah. So in 2018, when SP decided to launch a, a field office in Venezuela in Colombia. Uh, they chose the border with Venezuela, kind of the ground zero for the crisis in a city called Cucuta, which is the largest city along the border with Venezuela. It's kind of the main entry point for the majority of Venezuelan migrants fleeing the country. Uh, And we're able to coordinate with all the other actors that are providing humanitarian assistance uh, here on the border. Um, Because we're on the border, we also were able to set up a series of shelters uh, for those folks that are fleeing on foot. Um, It's important to note that a lot of Venezuelans are in such a bad spot. They have so few resources. They have no choice but to walk out of the country. They don't have enough money to buy a, a bus ticket to get to where they need to go. So they're, they're walking, like I said, thousands of kilometers in some cases. Uh, and they're walking through the Andes. Uh, Colombia, the main route in Colombia that leads you know, to the major cities and to other countries in South America goes through the Andes. And so at some points, they're reaching heights of like 12,000 feet. Uh, and they're walking uh, from basically sea level up to 12,000 feet. Such hardy, hardy people. I can't even imagine. Um, and I know when you guys opened the country office, you know, migration and, you know, this was your, I don't want to say your focus, um, but now here we are in a pandemic. And I know that has um, been a major hit on people's livelihood, their food. So has that changed your food distribution, your, your ministry, your focus? Um, and what have you been doing now in the, in the light of this? Yeah, it's, it's definitely made all of our programs more urgent. Um, needs, uh, that were, you know, needs that we had before the pandemic are further exasperated in the midst of the pandemic. We're seeing three or 400 people passing through our shelters every single day. It's a new group every single day passing through the shelters Um, because the situation in Venezuela continues to get worse. Every day, there's more bad news coming out of Venezuela. And so it's made the response along the border a lot more urgent. Um, Venezuelans leaving not only the economic collapse, but now a deteriorating public health situation are coming into Colombia, and we're forced to respond to that. Uh, it's certainly made the food distributions more urgent. A lot of folks that have settled in Colombia, a lot of migrants that have settled in Colombia work in the informal economy. So they're, you know, going out to try to make enough money that day to put food on the table and put a roof over their heads for that night. A lot of folks make money to pay for a nightly rent. So they're not even paying weekly or monthly rent, they're paying daily rent. And so they go out to make enough money to pay for that daily rent. So what happens in with the COVID situation where folks maybe don't ha- aren't able to kind of go out and, and sell things or try to make make a few dollars uh, to get them through the night is is they're making decisions. Do I take what little money I have and and put a roof over our heads tonight, or do I feed my family? 
and, and it's, you know, it's a really desperate situation for a lot of folks. Uh, and so, you know, what Samaritan's Purse is trying to do is identify those that are most in need. And we're working with the local churches to identify those most in need. And the churches are being so brave uh, in the midst of the pandemic, going out, putting themselves at risk um, to be able to, to satisfy the needs of, of those that are uh, in, in, in a desperate situation. Mm-hmm. You know, I heard one of our correspondents was in Columbia and, and talked with one of the pastors who had, you know, been pastoring for for years, trying to minister, trying to help. But he said he just didn't have the resources um, to do what he what he wanted and needed to do because there were so many needs. He would travel all over trying to minister and working with Samaritan's Purse now has been such a blessing because now he has more resources and a network um, because all he wants to do is serve his people. Uh, this community is full of uh, Venezuelans and Colombians, uh, people that are ill. Muchos niños, familias de cinco hijos, de seis hijos. Many children, families with uh, five or six children. Eh, familias con niños especiales. Families with uh, children with special needs. Que dificulta a la madre o al papá. That make, make it difficult for the parents to work as they, they would normally. En la comunidad, pues, this community really needs someone to, to preach about the Lord. This community feels abandoned, though they are not really abandoned. Sí. I, muchas personas. This, Pero, ministry, this ministry has blessed many people. Pero realmente, but the truly blessed one here, the, the, the most blessed is me, it's myself. Ha sido la respuesta it's been the answer to my prayers. I've always wanted to help people, but my resources are limited. Because many of the people that I met before being with Samaritan's Purse, those who I preached to, because they called me and they said, Pastor Yair, I'm, I'm going through this situation, and I felt sad because I had no resources to, to provide for them. That's why every mercado that Samaritan's has given me for these people, I try to put it where it should go. Just the heart. I mean, you can just hear it from everyone we talk to. Um, they do. They love their people. They want to help. Um, I know I, as an adoptive mom, we, we adopted a little boy. Um, this verse has always been important to me, but hearing you talk and, and hearing these interviews, you know, it says, The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are oppressed. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects resident aliens, also strangers. Um, he helps the fatherless, the widow, and he frustrates the ways of the wicked. Um, you know, that's in Psalm 146, 9. And I just, hearing their hearts, hearing your heart, I mean, you you want to help these strangers, um, these vulnerable people. Um, and I can't even imagine, like you said, before the pandemic, they were living day to day. And so now, there's not as much work. Um, these people truly wouldn't have food if it weren't for these programs. So can you walk me through, I know there are multiple shelters, correct? One on the border that's more of a transitional, helping them on their journey, and then is there one that's more long-term? Can you talk me through the shelters and the programs that are what you offer? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the first shelter uh, that we operate is about 30 kilometers from the border. So it's kind of the first major stop that migrants will encounter. Uh, on their journey to the interior of Colombia or other countries in South America. Meanwhile, the, the migrant flow was increasing, and we were not only seeing men walking along the route and, you, and needing the services at the shelter, but we started seeing women and pregnant women and elderly and handicapped. And so the, 
the writing was on the wall. Samaritan's Purse had to do a larger response at the shelter, you know, um, kind of do kind of go all in basically and provide a well-run program that offers a safe space for kids, uh, sufficient hygiene facilities for folks to use the restroom, wash their hands, take a shower, um, providing hygiene kits for folks, toothpaste, toothbrushes, soap, deodorant, um, basic items that they can't find in Venezuela. And then obviously providing hot meals, which is kind of the backbone uh, of the program is how it started and, and continuing to provide hot meals, but having to scale it way up and having to operationalize it. And that means getting the health department involved and make sure we're not making people sick and having them visit regularly uh, to be able to test the food and, and make sure we're providing the proper nu nutrients. So Samaritan's Purse went all in on, on hot meals as well. And then, and then obviously, you know, everything we do uh, centers around providing a gospel message to the folks that come through. So we have a, a group of chaplains that are there at all times to provide a gospel message to the migrants coming through. And, and what we're really doing is just planting seeds, uh, reminding people that, you know, they, they, there's a God that loves them and there's a God that cares for them. There's a God that, that entered into humanity with us and understands our suffering. You know, his, his folks were migrants, you know, on, uh, shortly after his birth on the exodus to, to, to Egypt. Um, so, you know, they, they can understand through a simple gospel message that they have a God that hasn't abandoned them, that loves them. And so that's really what, what we're all about is, is providing that material uh, blessing, but then really kind of uh, covering that whole material blessing that we're able to provide for them is, is, a, is a message of, of hope uh, and uh, an invitation to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So we have that shelter that's right along the route that folks pass through. They spend a night, maybe two nights, depending on their condition. And then in the next major city from the border, it's a city called Bucaramanga. Uh, we are able to provide longer-term assistance to migrants. Those migrants that are, you know, have exceptional needs. We see a lot of uh, single-parent households, a lot of young children. Uh, I was at the shelter last week. We had a baby that was 30 days old with her mom and and uh, and another uh, young son of, of six years old. So we're at this shelter, we're able to provide housing up to 60 days, meals every day, psychosocial support, medical care, uh, really a, a holistic uh, program uh, where we're able to help stabilize these families that have fled out of desperation. One heartbreaking story we heard about was a woman named Mila Gross. Only 26 years old, she had a three-year-old son and she was pregnant. She was found at one of the shelters that Samaritan's Purse runs. Up until that point, she had fled Venezuela and she was living in the streets behind a grocery store. She was selling lollipops near traffic lights to feed her child. She lived just outside of a grocery store. Oh. For how long? For how long? For 15 days. With her four-year-old, maybe three at the time. Okay, so she got pregnant, mm -hmm. and then she walked from Cucuta to here. Yeah. How many months pregnant was she when she left Cucuta? Seven months pregnant. All she wants is the best for her children. She thanks God for the privilege of being a mom. 
And over and over, the families that we talk with at the shelters were grateful for the chance to provide for their children. Thing we have to be thankful to God for everything He has given us, uh, life, health, the love that uh, I can have for my children daily. And then in the midst of that, you guys are doing food distribution. Um, I mean, like you said, you're providing meals at the shelters, but you're also helping outside of the shelters, correct? Can you talk to me about that? Yeah, so um, in addition to helping the migrants in transit, we're also working with those migrants that are settling in Colombia. Um, as I mentioned earlier, there's about 2 million Venezuelan migrants that have settled in Colombia. A lot of these migrants uh, are not in a stable economic situation. These are the folks that are working in the informal economy, trying to make enough money for the day to be able to put a roof over their heads or provide food. So we're working through local churches to identify those families uh, and uh, provide them with a meal kit that'll last them anywhere from two to three weeks um, so that they don't have to worry about kind of going out and earning food for the day. They can have a stable supply of food that will get them through two to three weeks. Um, and these are just basic food items. We're talking about beans and rice and some cooking oil, powdered milk, which is a luxury. Uh, they, you know, when you see the, their faces after receiving a bag of powdered milk, uh, you would think that they won the lottery. It's, it's a luxury. They're, they're thrilled to receive uh, powdered milk. Um, and these are just basic items to you know, help uh, supplement their dietary needs and help get them through a difficult uh, period. We're working through the local churches to also provide counsel and spiritual support to those families as well. And in some cases, discipleship to these families. Um, and the local churches are, are really the hands and feet of this program. You know, Samaritan's Purse, we're, uh, we, we often remind folks that we are not the church. We are a support to the church. Um, God's plan for reaching the na nations, his plan A, is the local church, doing it through the local church. And there is no plan B. And Samaritan's Purse exists to serve as a support to those local churches and build up those local churches. Because long after Samaritan's Purse is, is gone uh, out of that community, uh, those local churches are what we want to see thriving and continuing to disciple and meet the needs of the folks in that community. And that's what's happening through the food program. It's, it's, it's really a joy to watch. We have a network of churches, large churches, small churches, and they're all unified with that single purpose of, of identifying and serving those that are most in need in their community. And that is something that I, I just love about Samaritan's Purse, because you're right. Um, they will leave eventually, but the people that are there they're invested. They know. They they walk and talk, and and they are one of them. And so they can speak so much better. And and like you said, hopefully they'll continue to come back. And I think that's something that, you know, some people might not go to church or might not be willing to go to an event. But when they're hungry, they will take food. And so that physical nourishment, um, you know, is important. But then they get to hear the spiritual nourishment. Um, I know some of these people. One of our Correspondents talked to a woman, you know, and her husband was doing odd jobs. I mean, he was doing whatever he could, you know, willing to do anything and everything. So he was working hard, but they still didn't have food. And so she just said, what a blessing this was. Um, and like you said, to give them, and she said it would last a long time because she's really creative. And I think some of these people have gotten really creative with food and stretching it farther. And it was really convicting to me. I mentioned Osmary's, a mother of five children earlier in our conversation. 
Her husband and two of her sons started the journey from Venezuela to Colombia about three weeks before she brought the rest of her kids. Just like Mila Gross, she wants the best for her children. And even if it just means that their bellies are full and they have a warm place to sleep at night. I'm, I'm really grateful, I'm thankful with God because uh, that's a really great help. It's really helpful because sometimes we don't have enough and with that, with that uh, help, with that support, well, we can find a way to solve our things. What did you receive okay. today and what will you make of it? I received three kilos of flour, of rice, okay, a little of oil, two kilos of black beans, Okay, a bag, a bag of powder milk, a pound of sugar, and a pound of salt. Okay, I'm, I'm a really creative person in kitchen. <laughs> okay, so maybe if there is a little bit of rice left over, uh, so I can prepare uh, tortillas, arepas, and a typical fruit from here, which is called empanadas. Is this food going to help you provide for your children? Okay, yes, of course. If, if we have food to feed them, so that's, that's the most important. She feels relieved with that. And thank God because there is something uh, to feed them. Okay, well, thank God I have a little bit of uh, uh, products there. Uh, and I also, I feed them with very, uh, she controls the portion. And if it's something that they don't eat, she give it the next day. What is your hope um, for your, the ch your children's future? I hope them to grow up, to be good people, and I hope them uh, they can do what whatever they want. Maybe, for example, if they want to play soccer, so they can do it. If they want to sing, they can do it. She feels joy to see that people like you like uh, are giving are giving things, are supporting without uh, without seeing if it's a good or a bad person maybe sometimes people do that like they decide you don't deserve this but she sees that you are doing it uh, Samaritan's Purse is doing it uh, in uh, like Jesus I was so encouraged hearing Eric's heart and more about what the team is doing on the ground I can't imagine leaving my homeland being a foreigner and then facing COVID-19 and all the setbacks that it brings to the communities that I'm trying to get involved in and I love the way that Samaritan's Purse is giving physical nourishment, but more importantly, spiritual. I want to close reading James 2, 15 through 17, as my conversation with Eric really convicted me and made me think of this passage. If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of them says, go in peace, stay warm and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. I hope this encourages you, and I know creating this episode encouraged me to look around the needs in my personal area of influence and seeing the hurting and hungry people right in my backyard, but also around the world. Here is how Eric asked us to pray. As we close, um, I know from talking to you, we can see how to pray, but how, how would you specifically ask us to pray? I would pray for endurance. Um, like I said, the, this crisis, the crisis in Venezuela is has only gotten worse in the two years and the over two years since Samaritan's Purse has started working along the border. Uh, recently, we've seen a huge increase in migrants and our staff is literally having to turn folks away because the need is so overwhelming right now. Um, 
we have to turn them away from, you know, maybe some of the material things that we're able to offer them, but our staff can still uh, pray with them, give them a message of hope. But what, in order to do that, they just need endurance. Uh, and uh, I, I would just ask that everyone prays for endurance for Samaritan's Purse and all the organizations along the border that are serving uh, in Venezuela. Uh, and, you know, pray for encouragement uh, for the, during the COVID situation, we are about to enter into another lockdown uh, of COVID. Uh, the cases along the border are spiking. And so we're about to enter into another strict lockdown. And so our, our staff just needs encouragement uh, as we kind of go back, kind of feel like we're sliding backwards a little bit with the COVID situation. So just pray for, for encouragement for the staff, uh, knowing that uh, it's worth it. We may not always see the, uh, the, like the benefit of what we're doing here on earth, but we know when we, you know, stand with the father, we're going to see all the incredible work that he did through us during this time. So, uh, and, and, you know, all the, all the fruit that was bore out of, 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 you know, the work that's being done here. So yeah, endurance and and encouragement, endurance for the overwhelming needs and encouragement uh, through the, the uh, upcoming lockdown that we're about to go back into. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I can't imagine the wisdom and discernment that our staff needs in helping people. The needs are endless and the resources and capacity are limited due to COVID-19. The shelters and the food programs are unable to run at full capacity due to COVID-19. And so Isaiah 58, 10 through 11 came to my mind as I'm praying for the team to be strengthened and led as they help in Jesus' name. And if you offer yourself to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted one, then your light will shine in the darkness and your light will be like noonday. The Lord will always lead you and satisfy you in a parched land and strengthen your bones. You will be like a watered garden and like a spring whose water never runs dry. Thank you again for your prayers and your support. I hope that this episode helps you pray more specifically for the countries and the people in Venezuela and Colombia and for our teams on the ground. We are going to be sharing more stories from the field on our website and our social media over the coming weeks. So make sure to follow us on Instagram if you're interested in seeing more pictures and stories of the families that we're helping in Columbia. Thank you again for tuning in and have a great day. 